At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Gospel Community Church. My name is David Patton. If we have not had a chance to meet, it is wonderful to see you this morning, and it is my joy this morning to stand before you and bring to you the good news of the Word of God as it has to bear on our lives. And um, this morning, you may not be as excited as I am. Now, Now, some of you may be thinking right now, oh no, Pastor D., uh, uh, You are about to step on my toes. I can't wait for this. The gospel is about to come to bear on my heart. Pardon me a second. I'm going home to get my steel-toed boots because we're about to do some work in here. Now, some of you may be thinking, I can't believe she's here. You know she only comes to church on Easter and Thanksgiving, and so the fact that she's here must be divine intervention, and the gospel is about to lay to bear on her heart. I can't believe it after what she did last week. She better be ready for the Holy Spirit to wreck her. And there may be others of you who may be thinking this. Only God can judge me. You see, Pastor D, you can't stand up there and judge me. Only God can judge me. You can't judge my life or my job or my marriage. You can't judge me. It says they're right there in Scripture. Only God can. Let me speak into these three heart positions that I assume many of you have brought in here this morning. One, we should come to church each week with an eager heart to hear how God applies his word to our lives. Amen. Each week we should be eager to be reminded that gospel still has work to do in our hearts. It still has areas of our lives where the light needs to be applied. So as we gather each week, we come here with eager anticipation of the work that the Spirit has to do in our hearts to lead us into salvation or to lead us in sanctification and more into the image of Jesus Christ. If you are coming in here looking to apply Scripture and gospel conviction onto someone else, if you think for a second that the sermon is for that person, I've got a word for you today. This is not a heart position of mercy and humility, but rather one that can't find application in your own life because you have a plank protruding from your eye, blinding you to the clear reality of your own desperate need of a Savior. And last, you may be thinking right now, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me implies that you can't judge me meaning that no other human can speak into your life, your choices, or your actions. You can't judge me implies I do what I want. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I'm an American. I'm born free and I'll die free and I'm free to do whatever I want to do in between. 
But I do what I want implies I get to deem what is right or wrong in my own life. I am the ultimate authority in my life. What I decide in my life and for my life is up to me, and by that reasoning is right in my own eyes, even if in my own life then adults agrees. And last, if I'm the ultimate authority in my own life, then actually, who is there above me to judge me? Thus, the statement, only God can judge me, is a pride-filled pronouncement that I don't answer to anyone, at least in practice. I am the God of my personal universe, and I answer to no one. Let me warn us this morning, at least of the last two heart dispositions, are, they are dangerous for your soul. Both are prideful and arrogant. Both expend effort to thwart the word and the will of God in your life. And they ultimately result in words Jesus will speak upon your death. Away from me, for I never knew you. Therefore, I implore you today to open your mind and your heart to the work of the Spirit each and every day, especially as we gather on Sunday morning under the preached word of God. The pride in our blindness to our own sin does not allow us to draw near to Christ. Elevation of self distorts our desperate need for a Savior. Only a humble and contrite heart he will not despise. This is the upside-down way of the kingdom. And we saw last week in the section of Scripture that Pastor Kirk went through that Jesus said to love your enemies to give to someone who takes, to bless those who curse you. These are all contrary to the accepted ways of this world, and they are all costly to us, right? It costs us something, whether money or comfort or ego. Each one of those statements from Jesus comes with a cost. But, but, he also talked about The reward that is to come. The reward as we gain the kingdom, right? And so that means that our accounts will be reconciled not here on earth, but upon gaining the great reward that we gain in the kingdom of God. That is the upside down way of the kingdom. And this week is more of the same. You see, Jesus is preaching. Remember, he came to preach. His mission was to preach. And so in every town and in every synagogue he came to, he preached. And this is so comforting to me today. Because you don't have to listen to a thing I say. The pressure's off me. There's no worry on my part because Jesus himself is speaking to you today. He is speaking to the dark recesses of your heart. And all I'm doing up here is preaching to myself. That doesn't make what I'm saying easy. Even though these verses today are probably the most misquoted by non-believers, they are probably even more used out of context by believers. They're not easy to swallow, especially when taking into context the context of the upside-down way of the kingdom of God. So as we make our way through these passages today, listen to what Jesus, our King, is saying to you. How is He speaking to your heart and your actions? And ultimately, how are you reflecting His mercy? Because write this down. This will be the key for us going through the passages today. It's only when we are keenly aware of the mercy that is shown to us through Jesus, 
that we can show mercy to others and thus live out the gospel in our lives. Let's get started in verse 37. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Jesus here is continuing to instruct his disciples and those who had gathered around him in the ways of the kingdom. That is his upside down way of the kingdom. And from the outset, this command has caused confusion and controversy in both Christians and non-Christians alike. Just what type of judging is not allowed, we must be asking ourselves. Surely Christians are allowed to be judges to judge matters of law. In fact, we need more Christian judges in our judicial system. This act of judging is not what was prohibited. What about a Christian's ability to judge right from wrong? Should I go to that website? Should I take this lamp from home goods without paying? You know you've thought that. Should I correct my child who just slapped her sister? Of course, this is not the judgment that Jesus is commanding against. What about when a brother or sister in the church sins against you? Mm -hmm. You know what they did. Are we to say nothing to them since we are not to judge their actions as sinful? No. Again, Matthew 18 lays out the path for us to in love, bring up to one another the, the wrong that has been done. Also, are we not supposed to judge the actions of a non-believer? Surely they would say, hey, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Instead, if we look at the command in light of the context of the previous commands of the sermon that Jesus had spoke, we see that Jesus is actually prohibiting is a disposition in our heart to look unfavorably on the character and actions of others, which leads invariably to the pronouncing of rash, unjust, and unloving judgments upon them. This could include criticism or complaints or accusations about another in malice or eat, of the person that Jesus is reaching out to because, listen to this, the heart of a Christian that pronounces rash judgment on another is one that has quickly forgotten the mercy that has been given to them. The last thing that Jesus said last week in verse 36 was this. He said, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. As you know, the Bible was not originally written with chapter or verse designations that break up a letter or a sermon. Uh, they were instead meant to be read as a letter, as a flowing thought. So when we read verse 36, it says, judge not in context with verse 30, read verse 37 in context of verse 36, it says, be merciful. It links together the reasoning for not to judge others and not to condemn because we have been shown mercy by a merciful God. Amen. Now, mercy is withholding something. A punishment is deserved, which reminds me of the gospel. You see, God is perfect, and he is a holy God, and we, we are sinners by nature and by choice. We were born that way, and we just like it. We're incapable of curing our sin disposition. Our sin deserves punishment as it, all of our sin, is against God. 
Therefore, all are destined for the just wrath of God as punishment for our sin, unless, unless there is one who would step into our place. Jesus is the only capable substitute as he lived a perfect life of perfect obedience, completely free of sin. And as he hung on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God that was coming for the the sinners of the world. And by doing so, when we place our faith in him, we also exchange with him our sin for his righteousness. Therefore, we are saved by no means of our own. We are made clean and forgiven, not for anything that we have done, but only by his substitutionary death on the cross. You see, God, in mercy, places his punishment upon Jesus. And by an act of grace, Jesus gives us his righteousness. You see, salvation is a gift when we place our faith in him. Listen to this, because of the gospel, the overflow of our hearts should be forgiveness to others as we have been forgiven by Christ, and our heart position should overflow mercy as we have been shown mercy, grace as we have been shown grace, and love as we have been shown love. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, you should memorize this. It says, for grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Boast. You see, judgment and condemnation, are they're they're harsh. They, They hurt. Just ask someone who has been bullied or abused. Maybe you should have been the recipient of this treatment in your life. And this verse today makes you shudder from the pain you have suffered at the hands of someone else's judgment or condemnation. And for you, you have a Savior who has been there too. He suffered at the hands of wicked men only to be falsely accused, beaten, and falsely tried. But it didn't end there. Thank victory and promised to punish. Though it seemed to end in defeat, Jesus rose again in victory and promised to punish the sin of your abuse. And he offers you victory in him forevermore. Or maybe you have been the one that's judged or condemned another out of malice in your own heart. And if we're honest, that's the majority of us in this room right now. Take the plank out of your own eye and see that this sermon today is for you and for me. Most of us in here are more the perpetrator of this pain than than rather the victim. And here's the truth. The way we judge others reveals more about who we truly are than when others judge us. Our fallen nature is selfish. We can be hypocritical too, oftentimes judging ourselves indulgently and others severely. But I was just helping them out, you say. I didn't mean anything by it. It was just a little fun, and honestly, it made me feel better about myself. This is not mercy-filled speech. This is not building up the body. Rather, it is filled with judgment and condemnation and will tear a church apart. Instead, we are to forgive and to give as it has been modeled for us. 
in Christ, Jesus goes on to say, forgive and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. In these next set of couplets, Jesus calls us to be a forgiving and a giving person. And so instead of judging and condemning, we are called to forgive and give. Now, this is the upside down way of the kingdom. In this kingdom, mercy and humility define success in one's life. They are the currency that we give and receive. Therefore, we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven. Jesus has modeled forgiveness for us through the gospel. And we should give just as Jesus freely gave to us so that we could show the world that our reward is greater than the cost of giving. As a Christian, we must keep in the forefront of our minds this fact daily. Our goal in life is not for our life to measure out in our favor. In our favor. If you're you're expecting all of your accounts to be settled here on earth, you will be sadly mistaken. If you are expecting God to make you rich, if you are faithful in the tithe, then you are sadly mistaken. The goal of this life is not to be rich, but to pour out our riches at our cost onto others. Because great is your reward in heaven. Likewise, if you are expecting to be extending grace and forgiveness that that will likely overflow onto you because you have been loved in this world, you will be sadly mistaken. This life was not meant to make you the most liked, the most loved, or the most respected, or the most praised in this world. This life is to be lived out as an overflow of what Jesus pours into you, not what the world says about you. Great is your reward in heaven, Jesus says. You you may be saying it right now. You may be saying it in your mind, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain that they've caused me. And I can honestly stand up here and say you're right. I probably don't. I probably don't know the pain that you've suffered. I probably don't know the hurt that you've endured. But Jesus does. But Jesus does. Jesus knows the scorn that the world pours out on those who follow him. The same scorn and judgment and condemnation was poured out on Jesus. And he's calling you to be otherly. He's calling you to be holy. He's calling you to be, this morning, dependent upon his mercy and his grace in your life. In weakness, sufficient for you. For his power is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. Be weak today before the Lord and reach out to him. We plead for these things in our prayers, don't we? Give us this day our daily bread is is saying, God, I trust in you for my provision. You give me the ability to earn or maybe even make things happen in the absence of money. Lord, you provide. Please provide today for my needs. And we ask the Lord to forgive us, don't we? Forgive us of our own messes as we forgive those who trespass against us. We acknowledge with our own mouths that we are totally dependent upon God's mercy for our forgiveness. Mercy in these situations is to withhold judgment and forgive. We plead with God to withhold his righteous wrath from us, yet many of us are so slow to bestow it on another who has hurt us. 
or disappointed us. Church, we are to be merciful. Just as God withholds his wrath from us, we should be willing to withhold blame from others. We ought to be very careful when we add a giving and forgiving spirit. If we have instead a giving and forgiving spirit, we shall ourselves reap the benefit. Though full and exact returns are made in the kingdom, not in this world, there is a disproportionate reward for the cost of following Christ in this world. Jesus goes on to explain. He says, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, now raise your hand this morning if that verse is confusing to you, was confusing to you. You've read it before. What is he talking about? Maybe you've heard it, but it's never made sense. But let me start out with this. This is good news for you this morning. It's the why of the text. This right here, this verse right here is the why of the text. It's our motivation to do all the hard things that God calls you to this morning. God wants to bless you. And his blessing is for your life and it's overflowing into your lap. Now, now Jesus knew his audience. This was a society that was dependent upon agriculture, wheat, grain, grapes, dates, flour. All of these things were taken to the market where they were weighed. And the weight became their value. In fairness, good weights must be used. The the weights decided the value of the goods. And, And Jesus, he's saying he uses good measure. He uses weights that are disproportionately in our favor because he overly blesses us for the sacrifice that we make in his name. His blessings are never found to be wanting. Listen to this. Let me paint a picture for you. Have you ever opened a bag of chips? Let me ask it a different way. Have you ever opened a bag of chips and when you pulled the seal apart, all the chips just came rushing out of the chip bag over into your lap? No. It is universally disappointing when you open a bag of chips because you're like, you're feeling the outside and you're like, oh, this bag of chips is actually more full than that bag of chips. I'm going to choose this one. We go home, open it up, and we look down and we're like, who ate the chips? Who ate the chips? In the same way, the reward of this life is like that bag of chips. The reward that this life gives is disproportionately not in our favor. But the Lord says when you sacrifice in his name, he provides for you disproportionately into your favor. So so let's walk through it quickly. Jesus uses good measure and good weights when, when he is weighing out our blessing. They're disproportionately in your favor, meaning the scale is always that which more blessing is needed to be poured into the bag for the scale to move. So there's always more blessing placed upon you. And to make room, this is the best part, to make room, again, we get the bag of chips, we, we smash the chips down into the bag. We can pour more chips in. We, we smash them again. We can pour more chips in. We shake the bag. 
they settle a little bit, we can pour more chips in. And, and what Jesus does then is continue to pour until they're overflowing into our lap. It's the same with the blessing that Jesus has for you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing into our lap. Do you see, when you judge and condemn, you heap judgment and condemnation upon yourself. But when you give and forgive, you heap blessing onto yourself. That's what it means by, by the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's not a doctrine of earning your salvation. That, that's what, not what these verses are talking about. The more you do, the more God loves you. That's not what it's talking about. It's it's not one it's not one where you can lose your salvation if you don't if you don't forgive you won't be forgiven that's not what it's talking about it is however where you should check your heart and your love of Jesus and His mercy it, is your heart hardened with pride and judgment are you all alone at the top of the mountain of perfection and no one can ascend the mountain to get to how high you are? Jesus offers you salvation this morning as well through the acknowledgement of your sin and by accepting Jesus as your King and Savior. It's an act of humility that doesn't come naturally. It only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the inheritance in his upside-down kingdom. So please step down. Preconceived from the pinnacle of, of the mountaintop, please step down and remove the preconceived mantle of perfection that you've placed upon yourself. Remove that weight from your shoulders and rest at the feet of Jesus, where Jesus died in your place and for your sins so that you could become his. And be loved. All right, I'll stop preaching to myself now. <clears throat> and to be true, the blessing, the blessing that he's talking about, that's pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into your lap, is to become more like Jesus, to become more like himself. To give is to be like Jesus. To forgive is to be like Jesus. Listen as Jesus reveals in these next two short parables how we can become like him. He says, in verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, now Luke leads into this parable that Jesus told. He doesn't say it was the next thing that came out of his mouth. Luke is being much more concise in his retelling of this sermon than Matthew was. Because Matthew's retelling of this Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount was much more extended. So more than giving the entirety of the whole sermon, Luke is more giving us an entire thought on a discourse of judgment through the lens of his upside-down kingdom. Now remember that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, and like the next two, they didn't have to be long. So in this first parable, Jesus is addressing guides or teachers who are unknowing or unlearned in the law of love that Jesus is preaching. These scribes and Pharisees and religious elite are the blind leading the blind into religious snobbery. Their students are such men would, would learn it is the only Wow. What students of such men would learn is only how to fall into the same pit as the blind leaders had led them to. They surely must have followed those religious leaders of the day who were spewing law without love and obedience, without mercy, in such a way as to train their followers 
to be above or better than the hearers. And here, here's the quick application of that. Do you see this in your own heart? How do you judge yourself versus how you judge others? Are you too soft on yourself? thought I had my, my pages mixed up. Hang on, I did have my pages mixed up. <clears throat> you, can't bring, you can't bring an entire discourse on the stage and, and mix up your pages. I know. <laughs> you know, this is the first time I've ever done this. I brought 11 pages on the stage in this first time I've ever done this. That's, that's good. <clears throat> okay, there we go. The application, following one another. Uh, following anyone other than Jesus and his upside-down way of the kingdom will only lead you both into a pit, both here in this life and and for eternity. Now, that makes more sense. The question we must ask ourselves here is, who are we following? Whose attitude are we reflecting in the ways we relate to those around us? Are we prone to mercy or condemnation? Jesus says again, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This next saying is similar, but it it is different. It's meant to refer to Jesus as the teacher. Many times in Luke, Luke uses the term teacher, and most of the times he is referring to Jesus as that. So in this parable, Jesus is that teacher, and he's talking to his disciples in this relationship. Their station is not to be above Jesus, their teacher, or that they could rise above the status of Jesus, but rather to listen to him and to renew their minds with his teaching. It is only through the renewal that when fully trained, they can be like him, not be him. Make no mistake, he's never saying that they can take his place, but only that they could be like him, meaning they could reflect him to the world. They could reflect him to the world. Now, why is he saying this? Well, in this society, it would have been common for young men to sit at the feet of a rabbi for learning, only to one day decide to best the rabbi with their superior knowledge and wisdom. Jesus is teaching his disciples in the upside-down way of the kingdom. He was teaching them not to be like the world. In Jesus' kingdom, humility is a virtue, not pride. Pride is what would lead a student on a quest to best his teacher. Pride would well up in the heart of a student so as not wanting to listen, but rather to speak. And in his heart position of pride, the disciple is no longer learned, but a fool. What a fool. For clarity, when the story is told in Matthew, though, the judge not part is directly linked to the speck in the eye part. So, so maybe Luke just added this in to keep you on your toes during this sermon. I, I don't know. Uh, but again, I think the, the continued importance to remember is that of pride and humility as he launches into this final dissertation here in verse 41. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Well, if he wasn't speaking to you before, he is now, isn't he? Jesus is pointing out a fundamental characteristic in our eyesight. It's the fact that you can somehow see clearly the flaw in someone else 
and yet are completely blind to your own flaws. He's asking a rhetorical question, isn't he? Uh, but, but it is one that there is an answer. Why can we see the speck in someone else's eye, but, but, but not in our own? The answer is sin. Jeremiah says it in, in Jeremiah 17. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our sin is pride. It's arrogance. It's greed. Or maybe it's comfort or control and justify the way the heart manufactures ways of why we are right and good and justified in our own ways and why you are wrong. Do you see this in your own heart? How do you judge yourself versus how you judge others? You're probably pretty soft on yourself, aren't you? So am I. Do you judge others do you judge yourself with kids' gloves while wringing out the letter of the law on another? The answer is yes. We, we, we all do. And I'll tell you why. My inner lawyer always gets me acquitted. Every time based on my pure motives. But he throws the book at you because I know your motives. I, I know why you did what you did, and I am frankly appalled. Is your lawyer like that? He will tell me whatever I want to believe. And this is so dangerous as he speaks in total opposition of mercy and love. Jesus continues, verse 42, he says, How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. Now, here's where it gets ugly. Not only am I blind to my sin, but I have eyes of a surgeon for you, and I have the passion of William Wallace to carve it out. Nobody? Wow. For, for your good, though. I'm only doing this to help. I'm only saying this because I love you. Right in the South, we say, oh my. Right, Greg? We say, oh my. We, we say, poor thing. And then we proceed to say whatever we want to say about that person. Bless your heart. This is the deception of our heart. Remember that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can trust it? And as we see, our heart protects its feelings by pointing out your failures instead of recognizing mine. We've all done it too. Now add on top of that the Luke 40, 45 says, 645 says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So our heart is desperately sick, yet our mouth spews whatever it's told. We've all been in the situation where we feel less than or condemned and instead of responding in humility, we try to overcompensate with accusation. And with greater accusation. It, if your heart is prone to condemnation and judgment, it will necessarily come out of your mouth. Necessarily. In doing so, it minimizes your sin in your own eyes. But Jesus says your eyes are clogged with a large plank. Now the connotation of this word plank in the Greek actually means the roof support truss for a house. It's 
It's large, right? It's long and it's heavy. Meaning it takes multiple men to set that trust in that house. But you're saying, I've got this. I don't need you to point that out. I've got it under control. Why would you come to me when I'm, say that about me when I'm trying to help you right now? This plank would crush a man under its weight, and yet Jesus says it's in our eye. This is deflection. Deflection is a defense mechanism in ourselves where we, in conflict, conflict or uncomfortable situations, move the focus from ourselves to another. It's like the sermon that pierces your heart for someone else. Well, I'm glad she was here this morning to hear this. And, and you've, you know you've done it too. Uh, knowing full well that the Holy Spirit was working on your heart, you deflected onto another who really needs to hear the word. This is not humility, but it's pride. Pride says that my sin isn't heavy. Pride says, I've got this. I can carry it without you. And pride says, no, you're actually the problem. And since I'm good, I can help you. Therefore, a Christian must be constantly engaged in self-examination. Now, now, this is not what's been referred to as Christian navel-gazing, which is a fascination with our own desires or our own needs, but it's, a, a, in fact, a, a necessary discipline in our own lives. In order to be able to help one another in matters of sin, we must first realize that it is we who need the most help. When we're wanting through the lens of the gospel, we will inevitably find ourselves wanting and must then continually run to the source for which mercy and grace flow, which is Jesus Christ. For Jesus has harsh words for those that don't. He ends this way, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. He pulls no punches. He, he sees through your defenses and sees that your desperately sick heart is there. And he says, it's you that I came to work on. Work. For the Christian, it's a life of confession and repentance that repeats itself daily and daily and daily until we die. To remove the plank of our sin, we first must confess it to the Lord. But he is merciful to forgive but we must leave it before the cross and ask him to take it up upon himself. Are we to judge others harshly when we have been forgiven? If so, that's who Jesus is calling a hypocrite. Before we judge another's sin, we must remember God's mercy in our own lives. Church, this word is so important today. If you've got nothing else from this sermon, please remember this. It's only when we are keenly aware of the mercy that is shown to us through Jesus that we can show mercy to others and thus live out the gospel in our lives. If we draw near to Jesus and be part of his upside-down kingdom, we must remember that what is of value on this earth is not needed in, in heaven. Mercy and humility are the currency that, the, that has value in the kingdom. 
Therefore, we must be willing to use it here on earth in preparation for the kingdom that is to come. And to trade this currency, we must keep in mind daily who earned the mercy and modeled the humility. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our King and our Savior forever. Therefore, we follow after his example and live a life that is set on displaying his gospel at whatever cost to ourselves. Because our reward is great and overflowing in heaven. So to conclude, this is not to say that we're never to judge. For as we said in the beginning, it's, it's not the case. There are times for a Christian to judge right from wrong or judge a situation. We are to judge sin, but the difference is that we should seek to remedy it through forgiveness and reconciliation. We are, we are called to, to judge in the way that Jesus judges. So how does he judge? Let, let's, let's end that way with uh, application. So, so what will come up on the screen is, is our application for this week. Be quick to show mercy. This reminds me of something that James says in the opening chapter of his letter. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That would quell a lot of disputes right there. That would silence a lot of our inner negative condemning thoughts right there if we would just be quiet and listen and be slow to anger. Withholding, withholding punishment just as it has been withheld from you. Judge not and contemn not, but be merciful as Jesus has shown mercy. I like to say this in my family or those that are around me, giving the benefit of the doubt. Giving the benefit of the doubt. I have an inner lawyer that is shouting for me and, and, and pleading my case. But that doesn't mean he's right. And that doesn't mean I'm the innocent party. We, we must be quick to show mercy to others. Next, be quick to give and forgive. When you do speak, Speak encouragement to those around you. Build up the body with your words. I, I, I know I am oftentimes convicted when, when someone speaks an encouraging word to me, my first thought is, gosh, I want to I do that to someone else. Or really, it's, it's right. I don't do that enough. I don't, how did they think to do that? How did they know I needed to be encouraged right then? Be an encouragement to others versus heaping upon them your judgment. Be uplifting and kind. A heart of spite, filled unforgiveness only hurts yourself. Listen, if you were brewing, right, over your anger of a situation, I can promise you almost nine times out of ten, the other person doesn't even know. They don't even know. So all you're doing in your judgment and condemnation is actually only hurting yourself. We, we must be quick quick to forgive, quick to give, quick to give and encouraging. We must aim quick to build up the body. Next, we must aim for restoration. Listen, the goal of church discipline and the goal of Matthew 18 and the goal of a Christian's life is not that of punitive judgment, but of redemptive judgment. 
We, we can judge something as wrong and then seek for its correction. We can judge something as not healthy or not good for the body and then seek to build that person up in love rather than push them away. We are part of a forever family. We, when, when offended, the goal is restoration because, listen, you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. Keep quiet in, in the kingdom. And last, maybe this is the most difficult for you. Keep quiet if possible. Church gossip will destroy us. It will destroy a church. Factions and division based upon judgment and condemnation without mercy will destroy a church. It's happening all over the world. Churches close their doors every day because people can't get along. And as the children of God, as one family and of one faith, we must be quick to love, quick to to, to share, quick to give, slow to give judgment, slow to give condemnation. And if you don't have anything to say, don't say anything at all. Your mama told you that. Let, let's end in this. Again, we must be a people quick to remember the mercy that's been shown to us. We must be a people quick to forgive as we've been forgiven. That the gospel may be glorified in the eyes of the non-believer and the believer alike. And we, we would be built up and shine a light into this world that is so otherly, pointing to the great reward we have in our kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, this morning what you have called us to is so difficult because daily we are told by the world to seek what is ours whether that be vengeance, whether that be our equity, whether that be our ego. In all things, we are called to make our accounts straight here on this earth. But Father, through this text, you are reminding us that it's the great reward we have in you where our account is settled. And not only settled, but overflowing with your blessing as we become more and more like you. So Father, I pray that Gospel Community Church and all the people that we touch would be blessed in the hearing of this word this morning and that mercy and forgiveness and love would overflow out of our mouths as you have placed them into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.